thanks for agreeing to reach out to me after you know just me randomly dropping you a line there on LinkedIn. I really appreciate it a lot. Well, I'm really curious and um, excited to talk to and connect with other people who are as passionate or you know concerned with the current you know adverse child experiences and traumatic experiences happening you know nationwide with our with our youth. Yep. Yep. I'd like to kind of talk to you about the premise for which, where I'm coming from so that we can have like a starting point and then I'd love to you know get your feedback on either if you agree with that premise or not and just just basically just see where that conversation takes us. Is that fair? Yeah, totally. Nice. Okay, so um, I look at this issue and the first thing that I think about is like we need to get down to the root cause of the problem. You know, we can um, talk about different holding actions we might take to reduce this from happening in the short term. Uh, but on a larger scale, I think that there's uh, that all big problems start small, that there's some root of the issue that must be addressed. And yep, and it's fantastic because that's actually what got me, um, you know, over to seeing you on LinkedIn in the first place is um as as I looked into this more and more, started with a you know have like a grassroots group of folks who are volunteering to help me out in different ways, and uh, we start looking into the you know, use empathy first as the way to seek to first understand what's going on. We start reading their journals. We start uh, looking at the documented research that's available specifically on school shootings and school shooters. And this one piece of insight that came out of all this is that. You know, in every case that we saw anyway, they were always suicidal before they were homicidal. Yeah. And so then we started asking the question, okay, well, what's causing you know, kids to be suicidal? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of keep stepping it back. And they're like, whoa, wait a second. Suicide's the second leading cause of death in 10 to 24-year-olds in the United States? Wow, this isn't something we're talking about very often. Why the heck is this happening? Um, and then you kind of dial it back from suicide to depression and or anxiety and then from depression and or anxiety toxic stress and before toxic stress adverse childhood experiences that's essentially the the chain that i've come to understand it at this point so um i just said a lot but what do you think about all that well i think that that's you know getting more and more well documented actually i think you know one of the, the leading causes of suicidality is those early childhood adverse experiences that happen in those fundamental years of zero to five, three to eight. Um, and so for me, my passion is all around educating and empowering um, parents and caregivers to really do and focus on those early attachments and those early relationships mm -hmm. because they are such a foundational a building block for future relationships, yeah. future social-emotional development, future social intelligence. Um, so all of those linkages have to happen on a very firm infrastructure. And if you do not have those early relationships intact and secure, they, they crumble when they get older. And they crumble as, as an individual gets older and they don't have those resources to kind of fall back on and 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 pull from right that those resiliency strengths and that does not mean and i you know i'm really const, uh, hesitant to just say it's all about adversity because resilience plays such a huge part uh -huh. in reversing some of the effects of adversity 
So even if they, um, an individual has uh, those fundamental years are really fragmented and, and stressed, that does not mean to say that the, the body, the, the, the brain is not resilient in building those connections with um, care providers who can actually um, build those infrastructures for relationships, right? So if you look at suicide, suicidality and the suicide symptoms, symptoms, it's about loneliness. It's about a lack of connection. It's about a lack of feeling that they have some place, some space that is safe and theirs and that they feel heard. Um, and, and that's all about, you know, with parents who are, or caregivers, well, let me back it up a little bit. The concept, the, the sheer concept alone of parenting, of taking a, a, a child and recognizing the developmental stages um, a child goes through versus a, a grown adult is really a fairly new concept, right? Mm. I want to say it's, with it, it's probably 50 years old, uh-huh. 80, 60 at best. And so what you have is a result, really, of this lack of understanding of what is the typical child development, right? If you look at neuroscience and the way the brain functions and its structure over time, empathy is a use-dependent function. You have to cultivate it. It does not happen naturally. It does not happen as a byproduct of just being a societal, social, engaging person. You have to teach empathy. Bruce Perry talks, Dr. Bruce Perry talks about this all the time. It's a use-dependent function in our in our infrastructure. So that cultivation of empathy hasn't really happened in our culture because we've been treating children for a long time as just little adults, right? So this whole concept of parenting and being uh, uh, aware of a child's development in time is, like I said, fairly new. And so we're gonna we're gonna overcompensate and undercompensate in areas that we still have, don't have a, a clear understanding of, right? So I really want to just, you know, talk about resiliency and adversity are the same size, the different sides of the same point. You cannot have one without the other, and and the lack of one results in the the other one turning up over and over and over again, right? Like flipping a coin in the first game. So, yes, I concur in all that you said that as far as, like, those early years are fundamental but not totally an imprint and a predictive right. of everything. Mm. I want to be really conscientious and say that it's not a predictive measure, that it's, you know, there's lots of diversity, and the first shapes of these wonderful ways. Yep. Um, so that's what I'm going to say about that. That's, that's, that's really good. There's so many different places that we can take this. And I think the first one that I'll, that I'll mention is I've been thinking about, um, you know, after digging into the ACE study and everything else that's been associated with it that I've seen so far, I, I see that there's one aspect of, like, um, lowering undue diverse, uh, sorry, lowering undue adversity. So like stuff that just shouldn't be happening, right? Like, you know, a child being sexually abused, like these things, we, we can talk about what kind of adversity is, is helpful and not helpful. I think it's just fair to say there's certain kinds of adversity that just should not be happening in our communities. You know, that's like, that's like one thing. And then there's, um, building resiliency like you talked about to deal with whatever it is that life's going to throw at us and then there's like this other piece that i'm starting to see which is um healing and and addressing the um the adverse things that have happened to you that you haven't yet reconciled with at whatever age right and yep i lost you that for a minute 
Yeah, you, you, I, oh I yeah. Out, outside of um, mitigating some of the undue adversity, uh, building resiliency so that way you can handle what comes at you, there's also like the healing of and dealing with the existing adverse um, experiences that you've had that maybe you haven't yet processed or healed from, you know? Right. And, Absolutely. All that's super connected, yeah. Yeah. So you kind of have like these different layers. So we're seeing that. So that's... So it sounds like we're, we're thinking the same thing there, but you, you said a few things that I find really in- interesting. Like you talked about this concept of, of infrastructure and that can go in a lot of different directions. Talk to me more about what you mean by that and what you envision. Well, I, you know, that's, that's a, that there's macro and, and micro pieces of that, right? Yeah. So we have the brain structure, just the typical brain structure that's needed for, you know, um, a healthy development of an individual, right? And there's lots of neuroscience out there that that supports that argument of, you know, there's scaffolding that needs to be in place for a brain to develop properly to, so it can reach the higher the higher functioning of uh-huh. you know, self-reflection and all of that stuff, right? Yep. Self-regulation, self-reflection, higher consciousness, thinking. Um, so that is built on, you know, just neuroscience and all that stuff. But also there's infrastructures of, like, you know, how we design our... Um, our educational systems, how we design our, you know, I personally feel like the whole way we even educate educators and administrators needs to be redefined uh-huh. and how we address adversity in the schools and how, you know, when when you have traumatized educators responding to traumatized children, wow. you're not going to have a very positive outcome. Uh-huh. And so, when you say back it up, I'm talking back it up, right? Yep. We need to change the infrastructure of how we're even polishing and sending out and preparing our educators to go into educational systems that, then again, need to be reformed. So that's another conversation. Yep. But, you know, empowering those people who have our first contact and spend so many hours with our children. Yep. And then also have to respond to other educators and the stresses that they're on. I mean... There's all this trauma-informed, you know, teachers are going through these trauma-informed trainings, right? There's a huge push in California, and I'm, I'm sure it's elsewhere in the state, um, that, oh, we need to become trauma-informed. We need to become trauma-informed. We do. And we also need to become resiliency-informed. What is already in place that's working in our school? Yes. What is already in place that's working in our educational system? And then we build on those. Yeah. We build a strength-based result foundation around those processes and yep. those policies and then we reform the rest and throw out what's not working for us any longer yeah yep. um so you know the whole the whole concept of i mean i'm going to go all over the place and i've got about 10 more minutes that i can talk and then i have to stop into my office yeah i'm following um but i you know the, the, the concept of play for individuals for children right we used to have, so the structure of school used to be a little bit different than it is now, and it would allow children to play longer, recesses were longer, and that kind of stuff, and and studies are now showing that children need that play. You know, we've kind of pushed it out. Um, there's, there's lots of different pieces that could be um, contributing to the school shootings, where it's, it's, just, it's about the home life, but it's also about the school structure as well. What pressures are we putting on children? to perform and not just ex- have explorative play like they used to? What pressures are we putting on parents to 
structure, these, you know, play dates and scheduling and, you know, we have to do this and we have to do that. And parental guilt is at the, the highest that it's ever been because of all these, you know, the concept of parenting, as I mentioned before. Um, so there's a lot of different facets that need to be explored. And you can't just say it's gun control. It's, it's this, it's that. There are so many different facets and you really have to work small and like you said, that grassroots movement, right? What is immediately needed in the community that you're serving? And how do you make that ripple effect go as far and wide as possible? Um, And so it's conversations like these that happen amongst, you know, uh, other people and getting new ideas and sparking new um, concepts, but also staying in touch with and being really aware of, like, we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? What's already working? And how do we strengthen those resources, you know? So... Um, building on those threads of resiliency that then can help in the, in the short term mitigate the trauma that's experienced and in the long term stop it from ha- ever happening to begin with. Yep. Yep. So what is already working? What are some examples of resiliency in action that's um, working? Well, one thing that's really working right now and it's, re- it's spreading on an international level and it's with the Trauma Resource Institute um, which is based out of Los Angeles. Um, Ellen Miller-Karras is a licensed clinical social worker who has kind of like developed this concept. She was uh, funded by the Mental Health Savings Act grant a while ago. I can't remember the year. Um, but her community resiliency model techniques are really hands-on things that can be used. And there's and it's nothing new that she's created. She's just yeah. packaged it in a way that's actually really usable. Yeah. And it's, there's others, there's plenty of other places doing very similar things that Elaine's doing. Um, and But the trauma, the, the community resiliency model skills are really basic skills that help rewire neuro, neurological pathways in your brain to help you organically build more inner resilience. Uh-huh. And so it's based on this whole concept of resiliency zones. So, like, for instance, when you're having a really highly productive day and you are just in your zone, right? Like, you are doing it, you're moving, you're shaking, like, everything's flowing, yep. right? Things might trigger you, but it doesn't pop you into high anxiety or low depression, Yeah. right? So that's our zone. And every and, and neuro, 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 neurological, biological influences are developed to build either a kind of a thick zone or a thin zone so we've all seen those babies who get like super highly sensitive right like they're yeah. super sensitive to sound right. or smell they have a center resiliency zone so they might need some more skills on how to self-regulate on how to kind of calm themselves down they might need a little more um kind of coaching right as they get older to kind of strengthen and, and, and widen that zone so they're not bumped into anxiety a high a high zone or a depression of a low zone uh-huh, right uh-huh. so where I was living in Mendocino County before I moved to Sacramento we were working with high schools namely a, a high-risk high school and teaching educators how to use these skills for themselves so they could stay in their their high their highest performance teaching zones right when they were like really in tune with the kids and their curriculum and then also teaching the kids, teaching the teachers how to teach the children and recognizing when they were getting out of their zone so they could actually get rebalanced and get back into a zone of, of where they could actually think. It's basically what happens is you have so many 
um, triggers, right? They flood the brain, they shut the brain down, and then it gets back into that primal survival brain where they're in that high risk, high toxic, where they're just responding to that fight or flight response. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. It's like bumping you back into the the lizard brain, and it's all about survival exactly. when it, you're just at school, but you don't know that. Right. that yeah, I got it. Yeah. You can't get into that higher consciousness, that <clears throat> problem solving spot. Yeah, right? you're all limbic. So, yeah. Exactly. So these skills are really skills that can be used by anybody, and this is what I love. What Elaine did it. What Elaine did. She took it out of the hands of just therapists. Yeah. And she put these skills into hands of like common day, everyday. Everybody, people, right? Yeah. So grandmothers can have these skills. So what I love about these skills and these techniques is because when you teach, you know, every community has that person, like when, when, when stress strikes, they all go to that one neighbor, right? Yeah. Or that one yeah. that one friend who always helps them kind of talk it out, right? Mm-hmm. If, that, if, if these skills or these techniques if were more widely known, then when a person stumbles upon this, I mean, I, I, I've walked people off the, off the limb when they're like, I'm on a plane and they're all nervous about flying, yeah. right? I, I give them a couple of techniques of the, the CRM skills and they're just like, oh, okay, I can I can actually focus on this and really not be freaking out. Yeah. And, it, and it's brilliant. So that's what I'm talking about, a grassroots movement yes. that, you, that you can spread. And now Elaine's work is international. Now she's focusing on going to areas that have been um, a resulting of, of natural disasters, right? Wow. Now you've got traumatized communities yes. who are responding and they're in stressed nervous systems. When we can re-regulate our nervous system, we can get into our higher consciousness thinking and really actively problem solve. Lucia. No, that's where you dropped the mic. Okay. That was great. Sorry, I dropped the mic. <laughs> <laughs> and there you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that is great, man. Well, first of all, I want to acknowledge you for the the heart that you bring, and there's there's nothing like uh, getting a a high functioning intelligence with a really big heart and there's so much uh, that can be done when that happens and I'm hearing that from you so I just want to acknowledge you for that first of all thank you for everything that you've done everything that I don't know that you've done that you know that you've done too <laughs> <laughs> thanks Chris yeah. we're all in together it, it, it takes uh, lots of many hands make light work right yes and it's going to take you know, more than one brain to figure this out that's for sure so thank you for your work and your commitment to it um, I would love to do some further connections and and, uh, and and ask you some questions about the work that you're doing where you're at as well. Yes, definitely. Well, one thing that I'm doing is I'm getting these these kinds of conversations that have some impact and meaning and making them available for other people to listen to. So I have a super informal podcast now that I'm running. How would you feel about being on there, this exact conversation being on there? Uh, that would be fine. Yeah, nice. I totally feel fine with that. I'm sure Elaine's going to be fine if I try to drop her name all the time. Just good, um, yeah. So she'll be fine with it, yeah. And can you tell us, like, in, and I'm sure you got to get going soon, so can you just tell us a little bit about your background and, like, what you're up to and what you've been doing? Um, sure, yeah. My background is social work. I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm a social worker, and I worked with um, zero to five communities with the first five uh, statewide initiatives. That's in all of California counties. Um, I've worked there for six years. I've done a lot of uh, resource uh, research and 
not a lot of research, not formal research, but just working with parents. I'm a parent educator. So I've done lots of parent education with, um, it w- primarily with Mendocino County. So when I worked with First Five, I managed a program that was in charge of improving parenting outcomes. And so, you know, 10 years ago, Mendocino County had a child abuse and neglect rate that was four times higher than the state of California. Jeez. And we were doing this, yeah, so they, First Five implemented this evidence-based parenting program known as Triple T, the positive parenting program it's called. And since its implementation, countywide implementation, we have been able to reduce that down to just above double. I mean, it's still pretty high, but it's like 1.8 now um, of the the state rate. So that has been, it's been so helpful to have that program in the county that the whole county of Mendocino County has actually adopted it as its, mandated parenting program um, because the parents were reporting that they really felt like it was to fundamentally change the way they parented and approached problems that arose with their between them and their children wow and to me that is that's huge right yeah. you can you can change the way a parent thinks about <clears throat> how to discipline their child and really create other positive responses to to, to typical childhood behaviors then you're really changing um, a population. Then you're really changing, um, uh, I feel like you're, you're changing a generation. Yes. That's, that's two generation work to me. Yes. Yes, and, and then the ripple so that's effects. What, that's what I've basically been doing. And I owned a baby store for 10 years and used it as a, uh, as a resource to connect parents to other, you know, other community resources. And we had a classroom in it that we had conversations like this, you know, yeah. talk about birth, talk about, you know, midwifery talk about just talk just, just get somewhere and talk to people you yep. know you're not in the alone and it was just a venue and a, and a place to cultivate relationships um so i really loved i, I loved having that as, as as part of my background as well yeah wow and it, it's it's from those experiences i'm sure you're able to bring a lot of empathy and understanding about who it is that we're talking to because you've actually had these deep conversations with them so the people that you're serving oh, yeah. are people you know, you know. And, and, and actually, I mean, the program, you know, I'm a single mom of three, so the program helped me also realize when I was working the parenting program myself, doing it as a parent, right? Because I'm like, looking for skills, we're all looking for tools. Mm-hmm. It helped me transform my parenting from that mom who's always yelling, right? Like, yeah. I'm, I'm loud. I'm naturally loud. I have a loud voice. I have a loud laugh. Me too. Um, I'm getting um, but it helped me realize people would always say, God, you're always yelling at your kids. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm just loud. Mm-hmm. And then when I, when I was re- reflecting, I was like, God, I can't, I, I do kind of always yell at my kids. What's wrong? What's up? What's up with that? Right. Yeah. Why can't I just talk to my kids? Why can't I get them to listen? Yeah. Um, and so it was through using the program and really working it. I realize I, I mean, I, now I have teenagers and I have, a, I, I feel really, um, I'm really pleased with my, with my, with how, with the relationship that I have with my children and, um, and I see that it does work. And so I not only work with other parents and they tell me how well it works, like, it's like magic. I'm like, I know it's not, but it feels <laughs> like magic, you know, 
when you feel that that sense of like angst of parenting and not knowing how to address situations and you feel the lack of that angst and then you can just kind of like it, it becomes much more intuitive yeah then you let in all those other areas of resiliency that, that, that then you make room for that other resiliency right you make room for all the other good stuff that you can actually have to have and enjoy with your children because you're not full of having to parent and having to redirect and having to um you know just dismiss the behavior or deal with it all the time so that's been that's been transformative for me personally and i've seen it i mean literally with hundreds of parents that i've worked with wow so you're actually doing the thing that a lot of people point to i hear so many people say when i ask about uh things like suicide and school shooting you cutting out um um, they say it starts it starts in the home, and um, I can't hear you, Chris. Sorry. No, dang. I was saying how people always focus on uh, the home. They say it starts it starts with the home. It starts in the home, and when I hear that, can you hear me now? I can kind of hear you. Huh. I'm how trying to focus on on the, well. What was it? Yeah, people will say it starts in the home when we talk about things like suicide and school shootings and, and etc. And part of me, I guess, is a bit cynical to thinking like, well, how can I don't see how we can um, create a situation where parents where where the majority of parents want to improve their their uh, parenting skills. I, I guess I get um, a bit hung up on the thinking that parents, some parents don't care. There's nothing you can do about that. Sure. But I mean, you've you've been doing the work. So what can you say about that? Because that's, you know, that's been something on my mind. Again, I, I don't think that it's anything. Uh, let me give you an analogy. If we knew if there was a predictive measure that said 85 and that's a that's a conservative figure, 85 percent of the children who graduate high school will be deaf by the time they graduate. We would have American Sign Language as something that was kind of embedded in our educational system. Yeah. If we knew that was going to be the outcome, right? Yep. Yes. Okay. It's a pretty safe assumption to make that 85% of the people who graduate high school are at some point or the other going to be in a caregiving situation, right? Sure. Yeah. They're going to care for something. Right. An animal, a, a niece, a nephew, maybe a biological child, maybe they'll adopt. <clears throat> a friend, right? a grandparent, let it in the line, yeah. Right, exactly. So they're going to be in that caregiving position at some point. So why? Why is our educational system based on having educators trained and how to get down to a child's level, make eye contact, use clear instructions, teach how to ask clarifying questions? These are the simple these are the very simple skills that are taught in the parenting classes and not just the triple P method, but a lot of evidence-based parenting yeah. uh, classes there. I mean, when we get pulled over on the road and for speeding and the police officer comes up to us and asks us, you know, for our, our ID and whatever, he doesn't just start yelling at you when we're rolling down the window, right? What are you thinking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why Don't you know you're supposed to be speeding, <sighs> right? They talk to us in a calm, clear manner, knowing that we know that we just broke a law. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. But we don't teach, educators don't treat children that way. So they don't get that anywhere except maybe in the parenting realm if the parent's aware of how to also communicate in that way. Right. Right? Those are good social skills. Right. 
if we had embedded the, and, I, and when people say, oh, we can't teach parenting because of religious things or whatever, I'm not talking about re- religious stuff. I'm talking about general, personal, social, emotional respect for one another. Right. If we taught these skills early and often throughout a child's educational experience, as well as in the home, you know what it would do? It would normalize it. It would normalize the fact that we are human beings and that we're all in this together and that we're all caregivers at some point, somewhere along the way. So it breaks down that hierarchy of power and control. Yes. And that's what needs to happen. That's why parents don't want to go to parenting classes because they think if they're going to be told what to do with their kids, they're going to lose control, not realizing that they have no control in the first place. (laughs) Right. Wow. Yep, that makes perfect sense. So that's that's my solution to change the world. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you're already doing it, so there you go. Yeah, yeah, but I do have to hop off the line. So, um, well, yeah, Gary, what you got to do, and let's have these conversations because I love the the motivation, and I love um, to learn what other people are doing as well. Yes, I cannot wait to talk to you more, Tammy. Thank you so much for your time. All right, thank you, Chris. Bye. Bye. See ya. <laughs> Bye.